continue with our biblical holiness session. Amen. And uh, this week and next week, our last two sessions, we're going to be dealing with some outward things. Still going to be touching on some foundational things, but dealing with some external things as well. Let me just, uh, let me me kind of as an intro here, we don't look at the Word of God from the world's perspective. We look at the world from the Word of God's perspective. And there's always been, but I think it's even more prevalent in our world today, there's always been a difference between the world's thoughts and concepts and the Word of God's. Scripture tells us clearly that you know, God's ways, to, to, to the carnal mind, God's ways are foolishness. They don't make sense. They're ridiculous. They're, they're crazy. They're, who would ever believe that? Who would ever do that? And I am, I am concerned that in 2021, the church is letting too much of that affect it. And to be honest, I don't mean the church in a broad sense. I mean the church in the, co- in the context of apostolics are letting the mindsets and the ideology of the world shake our confidence and our faith in the unchanging principles of the Word of God. The Word of God is, and, and, and biblical truth is not... It's not like the terms fat and skinny, tall and short. If I was standing next to a Japanese sumo wrestler right now, you could probably classify me as skinny. But I've heard people who weren't any thicker than a toothpick talk about how they needed to lose weight because they were so overweight. It's it's relative. It's relative. If I brought Levi up here right now, I could say that I'm tall. Yes, you. <laughs> but if I brought Brother Benner up here right now, I'd be short. It's relative. Short and tall is it's relative. I've been to the Philippines twice. I've thoroughly enjoyed the Philippines for several reasons, Filipino people to me are some of the sweetest spirited people in the whole world. Just I'm just I'm not talking about the saved ones. I'm talking about just all of them. They have such a sweet spirit. One of the other things, and it's not a close to that, but it's on the list is in the Philippines. I I became tall for a week. It's kind of nice. I was I was now in the tall cat. I've never really been in the tall category here. It's all relative. Well, let me tell you tonight, the principles of the Word of God are not relative. And they're not measured by the world's standards. See, we we've we've got this 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 thing I think that's been happening for decades, for generations now, is we there's a difference between the church and the world. The world and the church. (laughs) And as the world declines, though, the problem is the church keeps measuring its difference by the world's difference. And so we get farther and farther away from the Word of God, but we still aren't quite like the world, so we justify ourselves because we're not like the world. That's not the measurement that we measure by. Our measurement is not society, it's not popular culture, it's not Hollywood, it's not celebrities, it's it's not other Christians. Our measurement is the Word of God. And, And there's some things that we'll touch on tonight and next week that I promise you, if you're looking at them from a worldly perspective, the perspective of the world, you're going to argue with them, you're going to fuss over them, you're going to think they're ridiculous. 
I'm going to say it again. I've said this, I think, several times these last couple of weeks. I've said it in other settings. I do not understand why people want to be so adamant to argue why it's okay for us to be more like the world. You really ought to pay attention to those around you that want to convince you being more like the world. Jesus is okay with that. When it comes to the principles, and I want you to, I want you to notice this. I'm going to use this term very intentionally this evening. We often talk about outward things as holiness. They are not. They are expressions of it. But I, I, so I want to say it this way. Rather than talking about outward holiness, I want, we're going to talk about tonight and next week some principles of outward separation. There's a term that gets used pretty commonly amongst Pentecostals, especially a part of this organization that we're in, that's holiness standards. I, I, I understand the context of what's meant by that, but that terminology is not really, doesn't line up with really anything in the Bible. So, when it comes to the principles of separation that govern appearance, there are two primary categories that the Scripture addresses. Distinction of the sexes and modesty. The principles of outward separation that govern our lives from the Word of God are, are dealing with one of or both of those areas. Distinction of the sexes and modesty. Genesis chapter 1. I would have never imagined we would reach the day where a verse like I'm about to read to you would be a controversial verse. But it's the day that we are now in. Genesis 1 and 26 says, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Here it is, verse 27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. I think it would also be okay and accurate to say male or female created he them. Not or for them to pick the or, but in the sense he made them one or the other. As simple of a statement as that is, two times in the Gospels we find it recorded where Jesus referenced this. Matthew 19 and 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Mark 10 and 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. I have a message for our U.S. Congress. God made them male and female. It's not your prerogative to add to that. I have a message to the educational institutions of our day today. There are not 50,000 pronouns. God made them male and female. Male or female. That's the way God did it from the beginning and God never changed. But again, I challenge you tonight, folks... There was a day and time in which this was never an issue amongst so-called Christians. It was just the world. Not in 2021. Not in 2021 where there's organizations, there are denominations that will now ordain professed homosexuals. 
It's now creeping its way into the church. And if we sit and think, well, we're apostolics, we're good, you are greatly mistaken if you think that guarantees we are exempt from the world's ideologies creeping their way into the church. Have you not heard? (laughs) He from the beginning made them male and female to our elementary educational system. It's not up for determination what they are. God decided that when He created them. <laughs> and here's the thing that, that we got to keep in mind that, that we've touched on it the last couple of weeks as a part of trying to teach about this topic. But it's, it's such a key thing throughout all of Scripture and that is keeping in mind Things that God did to, as, as typology, as an example. That the scripture is full of things that God intentionally did in, in natural areas, in, 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 in nature, so that you and I could understand biblical principles. And, and, and so, so watch, watch, let's listen to this. 1 Corinthians 11. You say, Brother Ryan, what does this have to do with outward separation? Well, we'll, we'll get there. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 8. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Boy, that flies in 2021. Here I go. I, I'm, I'm in it. I'm going to stay in it. It's, it, it's amazing. I'll just put it out there plainly. It's amazing some of the things I've seen on social media from apostolic women. Pro things that are going on in our world today that are direct violation of principles of the Word of God. Listen to the living Bible. The first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came out of man. And Adam, the first man, was not made for Eve's benefit, but Eve was made for Adam. Woo, Jesus. Can't read that in 2021. I'm, I'm trusting there, there ain't nobody in here that's having a problem. Adam wasn't made for Eve's benefit. Eve was made for... Well, there you go. There goes that Christianity. There goes religion. I've seen a couple people posting stuff the last couple of months disparaging religion because of the way it, it promotes to treat women. You don't know the Bible. You don't understand the Bible. You're only picking out a portion that you have no clue what you're talking about. And I understand, boy, if you picked out verse 9 here, especially from the Living Bible, man, you could go to town with that. Yep. You, I mean, you could just, you could have fun. Here's the thing. Again, all of this is about typology. Because what God did with man and woman. And what Paul is talking about here is intended to be a natural example of spiritual things. So as the woman in the natural with the man in the relationship God established and submission that God established, that is a representation, a natural living representation of how the church is with Christ. It's not because anybody's saying that men and women are not equal. That's not the point. This idea, boy, I'm, I'm way off of it, but I'm, I'm, I guess I'm on it, so we'll stay on it. This idea of equality and the, and the, and the twisted application of it is wreaked all kinds of havoc in our world today. I want this is just a, this really more so of a sidebar here, 
And some of you have heard this before, and and I don't know if I've ever really pointed it out, or I, have, I've, I think I have a few times, but some of the newer translations have a tendency to take a little bit of liberty on some things. And this verse right here in the Message Bible is a great example. And for all of most of you that know, I thoroughly like to use the Message Bible because it just has a way of saying some things really plainly. But that does not mean we should take everything hook, line, and sinker. Listen to what the Message Bible says, verse number 9. Men, I'm going to read one more time the Living Bible. Adam, the first man, was not for Eve's benefit, but Eve was made for Adam. Message Bible says it this way. Men and women who far too often butt heads with each other submit their heads to the head, God. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. King James, neither was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Living Bible, Adam was the first man. Adam, the first man, was not made for Eve's benefit, but Eve was made for Adam. And then the message by men and women who far too often butt heads with each other, submit their heads to the head. God, Is that saying the same thing to you that those other two translations are saying? That doesn't even sound like the same ballpark. Men and women who far too often, but what? Why? Why? Because we have a world that wants its cake and eat it too. We want salvation, but we want it on our terms. We want salvation, but we want it to be convenient. We want it to fit in with whatever we want, however we want it. And that's not the way God operates. I've said this several times now, but in this context of men and women and God created male and female, equality is not about uniformity. The standard of equality seems to me for men and women to become now, they do the same things. Oh boy, this is the session that gets recorded for holiness that gets followed up in the future. So I'm trying to not flow. Equality is not uniformity. Men and women doing the same thing is not the, the gold standard that we have reached equality. Because when each person, male or female, fulfills their God-given purpose and contributes in their God-given way, I don't know how much more equal you can get than that. And no, I'm not talking about some of the old mindsets of, you know, women belong in the kitchen and whatever. That's not what I'm talking about in this. I'm sorry, I may may rub some of you wrong here this evening, but oh well. This idea that somehow, you know, it's a great achievement for a woman to be out on the battlefield next to a man. I don't know about you, but I see ladies as being too good for that. I'm just telling you. What God created a woman as? Out there rolling around in the dirt and getting all mud. That's not equality. Oh, Lord. It's always a kind of a, you know, a disturbing thing when... In here, in here, you feel resistance that you think you should only feel out there. And I acknowledge some of the resistance may not actually be you. It may just simply be the spirit that doesn't want us to take a stand for the principles of the word of God that do not change. One of the enemy's primary 
You've got to hear me, folks, because there, there, I think there's so much that we're dealing with in our world today that you can, if you're not careful, you can just look at it from a natural perspective. The problem with that is when you don't properly analyze what's going on, you're not going to deal with it the right way. I believe with all of my heart what we have seen, the tension and the fighting on a level we've never seen before between the two primary parties in this nation. If you write that off as just simply being politics, you are missing it greatly. Because the bottom line is there's always been obviously a difference between Democrats and Republicans. But it hadn't always been as ugly as it's been the last several years. And I'll just go ahead and say it. If you want to put the name of a former president as being the blame of all of it, you're missing it again. I believe with all of my heart what we have seen is a physical manifestation of a spiritual conflict. And I'm not saying that in the context of who's right and who's wrong. That's not the point. Because neither one of them are completely right and completely wrong. (laughs) And if you think for one second that the agenda that's being promoted has been promoted and is once again being very strongly promoted of acceptance of homosexuality and transgenderism and all, if you think that's just simply a, a, an, a, a, a challenge, a natural challenge in our world today, I'm telling you, I believe you're wrong. I believe one of the enemy's primary agendas is the elimination of the distinction of the sexes. And he has fought again it, again it. Yeah, that's a, he, he fought again it. That's some, that's some little southern talking there. I didn't mean to say that, it's just how it came out. Um, <laughs> it is in my roots, so can't help it. Um, uh, he, he's fought against it for generations, but it's been intensified. And, this, and, and here's part of the reason is because the devil fights against divine order. So he fights against anything that is in divine order. Because he knows the chaos that results from something being out of divine order. (laughs) He got the repercussions firsthand of what happens when something is no longer in divine order. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to assume a position equal to God. And he was kicked out of heaven. He knows firsthand that if you can get something out of divine order, you will create confusion, you will create turmoil, you will create chaos, pain, etc., etc. And so he fights against it. And the church sits back and embraces it. Again, not becoming exactly like the world, but... You know what one of the awesome things that we have, one of the great blessings we have in 2021? The distinction between... The church, the church, not a church, the church, and the world is so major now. The gap. See, for the for the older folks in the room, older, and say old, older, that's the buzzword these last couple of weeks. You, there's some folks in here that that uh, lived. In, in, in some decades in this nation where many of the things we stand for as Christians, the world thought the same way on. Adultery, fornication, 
There was a time in which the world looked down on those that committed adultery. The world, not just the church, the world. There was a time in which I, I go, go look up if you've never done it before. Go, go, go look up. Uh, you, you can probably I don't know how the best way to, to search for it. But but if anybody ever seen let me rephrase. I'll just ask it. Anybody ever seen pictures of Major League Baseball games in the I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s? If you have it, let me let me tell you about them. People in the stands for a baseball game looked like they were ready to go to church. Suit and tie. Dressed up. Ladies in dresses. Do you know that when golf first started, the game of golf first begun, they played golf in a suit and a tie. We were, we were watching a World War II era not a World War II movie, but a World War II era movie recently. And there was a guy out doing manual labor in a suit and tie. And now where we are in 2021, and I can't tell you how many, you may not, you probably you have no clue of this, but I can't tell you how many times I walk into a church service battling in the back of my mind on a Sunday because I'm in a suit and tie. Because go look at all the popular preachers, and I mean that very broadly. Tight jeans with holes, some kind of sweater or jacket. They all appear to be going to the gym. Now, I'm the better shape part, I need to work on that, but. But now here we are, and I'm, I'm being told in 2021, well, that's just. But wait a minute. Is anybody stopping to go, hold on a second? We're still standing for some things, and now we're so wrong, but don't you realize that at one point the world you lived in? You know what? When they start wearing, when they start going to uh, the halls of Congress in their uh, blue jeans and their sweaters, I'm going to start preaching on Sundays in mine. But if that's the way, and you can come, you know it. If you're not, if you don't know it, let me just go on record. There has never been a standard set of what you were supposed to, how you were supposed to dress. My good friend in the back there, Brother Bill Benner. His attire typically is t-shirt, sweatshirt, or, and blue jeans. I pick on him because he can take it. Only time you ever see him pretty much in a suit and tie is if he's on usher duty. Still with no socks. <laughs> my point, I, that's not my point. Yeah, have we made some requests for, for leadership? Yes. But to the average person, to the, the average attendee, there is no. But I'm telling you, for me, where I stand for myself, I don't disrespect you coming the way you come, but I, I, I think there's something about the office that I stand in. But I'm being told that that's just traditional mindset. But I used to, I can look at baseball games where the world used to... Funny too. Oh boy, I don't know how far I should go, but I'll just, I'll, I'll go. They've all. There, there's one of them. There's one guy. He was. He was. Uh, he was. Um, there was actually a point in time, twenty, thirty years ago. I heard him preach a few times, like on the radio and stuff. Never in person. Not an apostolic, but I'm telling you, the guy. He 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 had an anointing. I don't know what all he believed. I don't know where up, but he. And now he's probably in his sixties. And to keep up with the trends, he's now got facial hair. He didn't have it 30 years ago. He does now. Why? Because that's what's popular. Where, where do we get that from? Oh, we'd be freed from religious bondage. Well, wait a minute. Let's, let's, again, let's look at trends in the world. And how the church has kept up, again, not lockstep. No, we've maintained a little bit of space. 
where we basically follow the trends. That's not what we were called to do. That's not how we were called to live. First Timothy 2 and verse number 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Easy to read version says it this way, I want... I want the men everywhere to pray. Men who lift their hands in prayer must be devoted to God and pleasing to Him. They must be men who keep themselves from getting angry and having arguments. And I want the women to make themselves attractive in the right way. Their clothes should be sensible and appropriate. They should not draw attention to themselves with fancy hairstyles or gold jewelry or pearls or expensive clothes. Then lastly, the Amplified, I desire therefore that in every place men should pray without anger or quarreling or resentment or doubt in their minds, lifting up holy hands. Also, I desire that women should adorn themselves modestly and appropriately and sensibly and seemly apparel, not with elaborate hair arrangement or gold or pearls or expensive clothing. Men's separation, men's separation, outward separation in this context typically deals more with character and actions. Women's separation tends to deal more with appearance. All with me? Say it again. Men's separation tends to deal more with character. I would that men would pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. Women's separation deals more with appearance. Not that women aren't affected by character and action. And not that men are not affected by appearance. But let's be honest. There are things that we believe and teach that seems from an outward perspective, from a separation of external things, seems to affect women more than men. It's really not hard for a man to blend in most of the time and not seem out of place. That's not necessarily the case for ladies but again again well that's unfair that's not right oh actually it is fair because what god is doing is demonstrating the value and the significance he places upon women as a representation of his bride And there are more outward things that affect the ladies because you are representing the church that should be distinct and separate from the world. Again, it's not that one is exempt from what affects the other more. It's just simply one seems to be more predominantly used by God to demonstrate certain things. Adam Clark says this, The holy hands refer to the Jewish custom of washing their hands before prayer. This was done to signify that they had put away all sin and purposed to live a holy life. Barnes Note says, To lift up the hands denotes supplication as it was common, as it was a common attitude of prayer to spread abroad the hands toward heaven. Holy hands here mean hands that are not defiled by sin and that have not been employed for any purpose of iniquity. The idea is that when men approach God, they should do it in a pure and holy manner. No offense, ladies. And I would argue it's a little bit easier for you to line up to what applies to you than it is for us to line up to that. 
not being given to how did how did King James say it? Not not without wrath, without doubting. Men who keep themselves from getting angry and having arguments. Without anger, amplify without anger or quarreling or resentment or doubt in their minds, lifting up holy hands. At the very least, I think if you truly understand the biblical principles, you can't say that one is harder or worse than the other. Each has its own individual unique challenges that God has called us to have to live out. Psalmist said it this way in Psalm 24, verse 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Clean hands, pure heart. So I want to I want to take the last couple of minutes here this evening and we're going to kind of transition to some of the specifics. Um, but again, there the, the desire is not to issue a bunch of rules and regulations. That's not the goal. Which is why to me some of the things that I have tried to focus on in these classes the last several weeks, last several months, is so critical. If we don't understand some of the foundational principles, we don't understand the fact that from the very beginning of time, and then from the very beginning of starting to create His own people, God instructed them, challenged them to be separate and different from all of the cultures, all of the world around them. They weren't to blend in. They weren't to fit in with every culture that that they were uh, surrounded by. So here we are today in the spiritual context. But the same thing applies to us. Deuteronomy. 22 and we're going to we're going to again I remind you when it comes to separation outward separation to me it is it is one of two things and some things are a combination of both the distinction of the sexes and modesty Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse number 5 the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Contemporary English version says it this way, women must not pretend to be men, and men must not pretend to be women. The Lord your God is disgusted with people who do that. Somebody ain't reading the mess, or excuse me, the contemporary English version in Washington, D.C. I got a feeling there's a bunch of Christians that aren't reading the contemporary English version either. Again, folks, I'm going to say this again. I don't really feel like it's necessary for you here this evening, but maybe for somebody that may watch this in the future. We are to love the sinner, no matter what their sin is. We are to love the sinner, no matter what the sin is. But we can hate the sin while we still love the sinner. My dad spanked my rear end and disciplined me, and yet I was confident he loved me. If... His love for me was synonymous with letting me do whatever I wanted to, however I wanted to. That's not love. 
want you to uh, I want you to notice again in the King James the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man neither shall a man put on a woman's garment for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Let me tell you something I started to do this a couple of weeks ago and I wish I had followed through and maybe I need to revisit it. But there not everything that's sin is put in the category of an abomination. I'll say that again. Not everything that's a sin in the Word of God is put in the category of an abomination. And, and here's what I, I think I understand, and this is part of what I tried to start digging into a couple of weeks ago and, and got distracted. They say, you know, well, that's Old Testament. Well, you know what? There are some laws in the Old Testament that God gave the children of Israel that I don't believe we live under anymore. And I think there's some clear things in Scripture to let us know that. It's not just what we arbitrarily choose. But I'm going to tell you this. There's no place that I know of where something that was an abomination ever became a non-abomination. When God puts it in the category of an abomination, He is putting it in a whole different category. I just heard, I think, what I'm pretty sure was some kind of, uh, at least in name, an apostolic preacher uh, several weeks ago. This is actually, quite honestly, what prompted me to start looking into this some was he was flat out quoting, you can't use Deuteronomy 22 and 5 to talk about that what men and women should wear should be different. That's all under the law. It may be under the law, but I'm just going to say it again. When God puts something in the category of an abomination, my understanding from that word and from that principle is you might want to pay attention to that and it doesn't change. So listen to what, uh, let me back up here. Here's what is one of the things that is so absolutely amazing to me about Scripture. Now, I've heard this and maybe some of you thought this or maybe you've heard this argument. Well, you know, in, in the time in which this was written, everybody wore robes. That's why he didn't make it article specific. (laughs) But he said it in a way that it could apply thousands of years ago, and then we could take the principle and apply it in 2021. However, and I may get into this a little bit next week, I, I don't know for time's sake, But it doesn't take but a brief, because I did it earlier today, it doesn't take but a very brief studying or searching on Google to find out that even in these times, there were things that were distinctions between males and females. That the idea, well, they all wore robes, is not an argument against what this applies to us for today. Exodus 28 and verse 41. The Lord is giving instructions with regards to the tabernacle and the conduct and the service and all that. And he says this, Thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and thou shalt anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Verse 42, and thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins even, excuse me, even unto the thighs shall they reach. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come in unto the tabernacle of the congregation or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place that they bear not iniquity and die it shall be for a statute for unto him for a statute forever unto him and his seed after him verse 42 again thou shalt make them linen breeches which you and i would call today breeches instead of breeches this was instruction given to the priests 
the male priests. You can find the term girding the loins, gird up the loins. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul talks about it in a figurative way about our minds. But in the Old Testament, there's several places where you can find the terminology girding up the loins. One example is found in 2 Kings 4 and 29. Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not, and if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. This this idea of girding up the loins it, in, in essence, it was that, that they would basically reach down between their legs and grab one part of their robe or their tunic and pull it up and tie it off so that what was initially a robe now looked sort of like a pair of pants so that they could conduct themselves in certain activities in the best way possible. There's... Three other places, at least, there may be more, but there's at least three other places where this idea of girding up the loins is mentioned. And there are some places, first of all, let me say it this way, it's never mentioned in any way with regards to a female. And there are some places, in fact, I believe it's in Job, I've got Job 38 and 3 and 40 and 7 down as a reference, and I can't remember which one of those two passages. But in one of those passages, it makes the statement of girding up thy loins like a man. It very clearly stated that this is a practice of the man. And it's interesting to me that God was fully aware of what the dress would be in 2021. And the way in which he approached it throughout all of Scripture can be applied to 2021. Nelson's Bible Dictionary says this about these breeches or trousers, a distinctive item of dress worn by the priests of the nation of Israel. These trousers were similar to a loincloth which covered their hips and thighs. Other versions translate the Hebrew word as breeches and girdle. These were God's instructions to the priest. These were to be provided for the priest for their modesty. But we will get into this a little bit more next week. But this is one of those areas that it really is about both. It's about the distinction, but it's also about modesty. And in fact, as is pretty clear, first and foremost, the context of this is about the distinction of the genders. I don't think God... I'm not trying to be um, unkind or, or stupid here, whatever, but I don't think God ever intended for it to be the case that you would potentially look at a person and struggle to figure out, are they a male or are they a female? I don't think God ever intended that. But the direction of our world has made that more and more and more common. It wasn't God's design. It wasn't God's intent. It wasn't God's way. And I realize, again, I know I... I, announced the direction this evening. Some of you probably were looking for a little more specifics tonight. Well, come back next week because that's pretty much all we're going to do next week is some of the more specifics. But the foundation of this is critical. If you don't, if you don't, I, I think I said this recently, I think in one of these sessions. 
when you got the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues and were baptized in Jesus' name. But let's take, us, let's take that Holy Ghost part for, for this context. When you spoke in tongues and got the Holy Ghost, that was not just simply the apostolic initiation. You, some of you here have been to churches where you joined the church by one simple thing. You shook the preacher's hand, said a profession of faith. You're now in the church. Baptism in the Holy Ghost is not something we've come up with to distinguish ourselves from everybody else so that we can have a niche in the religious market. But then what we usually do is, you know, well, we, we can trace it back to the day of Pentecost. And we can. We trace our history all the way back to the day of Pentecost. And here's what happened. And it, and it did. But you know what's more amazing? It doesn't, it doesn't originate there. Goes all the way back, and this is maybe not necessarily the first, but in the context of what I'm saying, it's the first I know of. It goes back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. There were things about the covenant that God made with Abraham that was a type of what God was going to do on the day of Pentecost that you and I now participate in. That's why... If all you do is look at what we're doing in 12, you got to repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues. That's what you got to do to get a part of the apostolic church. If you don't understand the deeper things to that, if you don't understand the deeper connections, it can be a whole lot easier to compromise that truth. But when you understand, this is not just about a certain group of religious people. And when you see videos or hear other well-known speakers making fun of or calling us certain things because of what we believe. If, you don't, if you're not connected to a deeper foundation. How many people, and sometimes it's probably been our fault as as leaders, my fault as a pastor, but how many people maybe started doing some outward things but didn't understand there's some really deep, significant principles that all of this is about. The Bible says that we are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The enemy has done a very good job, I hate to say, at taking something God said was beauty as something that's beautiful to God and making it ugly to this world. Father, once again tonight I trust and pray that things that have been spoken in both of these sessions tonight will find good ground in our hearts, Lord. I pray for revelation and understanding to rest upon our minds, God. Lord, that Your Word would be hid deep within us, that when we face the challenges and the pressures of this world that we're in today, and not just the world, but other believers, when we face their questions and their pressure and their accusation, rather than measuring who we are and what we do by how it fits with the world's standard, that we would always go back to Your Word. It's the principles of Your Word, the unchanging principles of Your Word, Lord, that should govern our lives. I pray tonight that You would give us that understanding. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, Amen.